This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome, everyone, back to Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. And today, uh, I have the pleasure of hosting, once again, Richard Hanania, who kicked my ass last time about, about realism in foreign policy. And uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment. So I wanted, to, I wanted to bring him back to actually talk about domestic politics in the United States, specifically because... I, I love how I'm actually I'm on Richard's mailing list. And so I got his email, like literally how this happened was I got Richard's email on Capitol Hill craziness was the subject line. And, you know, and, and I realized like we had this great opportunity, Richard and me to be able to talk about, talk about like what's actually going on and what is possibly in store for the future of the United States uh, without a lot of like the sensationalism and, and posturing that, that I think we've seen a lot of. Um, and so I figured it'd be a great episode. So Richard, welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks, Eric. So it's just going to be me and Richard today. Xander is, uh, Xander's on like kind of work vacation. And so we're experimenting a little bit with, hey, you know, can we, can we hold up the show when like, you know, if one of us is so busy that the other one takes over for a little bit. So, you know, email me at eric at reconsidermedia.com. Just telling me how much you miss Xander. Um, maybe email him as well. So he'll come on more, but, but Richard and I are going to have a great time talking about like one fundamental question I have that I feel that again, I feel like Richard's really prepared to help us with is how much does the Capitol Hill craziness, right? The insurrection, the riot, whatever we want to call it, how much is it going to change our DNA as a country? And so here, here's how I'm thinking about this. The big question in my mind is, you know, I was, I was 14 when 9-11 happened. And so I was just old enough to have this like strong sense of what America was and who we were. And it radically changed after that. Right. And maybe not so radically, but, but it felt radical to my young mind. And, um, you know, a lot of things are, are a lot of things like you explain to people who were born in the late nineties, early two thousands. You say like, Oh yeah, back in the day, like you just, you know, you could just like roll up through a metal detector and you're right by, right by the plane. It's like, wow. You know, you know, and other long-term changes came in the United States, like spying on our own people became just a thing. A, a constant vigilance about the war on terror became a thing. We made some big foreign policy mistakes in relation to it. Um, so it was, it was highly consequential. And now we've had a mob storm, uh, you know, storm the Capitol building. Uh, some people zip ties trying to find, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence and do God knows what to them. Congress is probably pissed as hell about it. And 
you know, and a lot of a lot of Americans are 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 spooked by it. So we've got some specific questions that I might want to cover regarding what what is Congress going to do, what's Silicon Valley going to do, what's the security apparatus going to do. But I want to start, Richard, for you, the just the most open question is when the dust settles or as the dust is settling, do you think America is going to look fundamentally different for this? Or is there just going to be kind of like a mop-up operation and or closer to a mop-up operation and then and then back to business as usual? Well, I you know, I, I think back to uh, 9-11 and, and like you, I mean, I, I that was a formative event in my life too. Um, how much it changed American culture? I don't know, like the air, you know, the, uh, I think, I think that after the, um, the collapse of the uh, Berlin, uh, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. There was a, um, the, you know, the, the, that uh, interim between the Cold War and 9-11, uh, it was basically the foreign policy of the United States was like, we're just going to go fight these bad guys across the world. So like Milosevic and Saddam and these little sort of wars of choice that nobody was really paying attention to. And right. sort of was the response to 9-11 too. So it, it, and at the government level, though, it was huge because we spent uh, trillions of dollars on these wars. We lost thousands of lives. We killed uh, hundreds of thousands of people in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And we gave up a lot of civil liberties that we that we never got back. So it was uh, huge politically, culturally. I, I don't know if, if the shift was all that great. This thing, I think it's going to have less of an effect on the culture, which, you know, the culture of the cultural effect of 9-11 wasn't that big to begin with. And then on policy, yeah, also much, much less of an effect. It's sort of the, it's, you know, things can happen when you have this sort of bipartisan consensus in one way or another. And then everybody, so after 9-11, Bush's approval rating was something like 80 or 90%, right? And then, it, and then it's uh, uh, drifted downwards over time. And it was still pretty high when they went into Iraq in early 2003. This is a purely partisan thing. So now we're more partisan than we were uh, about 20 years ago. And there's no, you know, president, there's no, uh, there's no president who can unify the country anymore. So, uh, you know, Biden, I saw he had some pretty good approval ratings the other day. It was something like plus 20, which is unheard of. You're like, Trump never had that, but it's not that unheard of in the wider presidential history. And as far as um, uh, how uh, politicians are reacting, so a mob went to try to basically lynch Mike Pence encouraged by Trump. And then they had an impeachment vote in the, in the House of Representatives and 10 Republicans out of, uh, I think, 200, 205 or something like that, uh, voted to, to vote to convict him. So five, 5% of them. Uh, so the, the, there's no general consensus about how this should, how the meaning of this thing to, uh, to some Republicans are saying, you know, nobody's saying, or very few people are saying that this was good. Um, they're saying that this is a bad thing. This is embarrassing. But, um, you know, let's let's not be divisive. Let's uh, some Republicans in the Senate are saying, let's not even have the impeachment trial. You you, you can't uh, you can't have a trial after the president has already left office. And so they're trying to get out. They're trying to find a way not to have to either have this trial. And if they do and if they go ahead with it, I'm I'm sure that they won't convict. And so you have this partisanship and it's, it's still it's still there. And I think the Republicans are just ready to move on. The Democrats, they, they can't unify the country uh, behind some kind of mission to uh, to sort of. Um, uh, have some kind of truth and reconciliation commission or anything like that. I think those poor people who, those poor foolish people who, who charge Capitol Hill are going to be charged and the, the book is going to be thrown at them. Uh, besides, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how much the rest of us have to worry. One of the ways I'm, I'm curious about how this changes, changes our landscape for the short term is the Republican Party itself, right? So, you know, you finally, you know, you, you, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, at what point 
are Republicans, you know, our Republican leader is going to just have enough of Trump. And, and maybe it was, you know, maybe they kept, uh, you, you know, may, maybe their like personal distaste for him kept being a non-factor specifically because he, you know, look, he, in a lot of ways, he brought home the bacon, right? And he was very popular among Republicans and opposing Trump was just going to get you in trouble. But, you know, you have folks like Murkowski and Cheney, obviously Romney, but Romney, Romney always went his own way. Um, but even McConnell, right, coming out and, and doing as much as McConnell is ever going to do to take a stand on, you know, on his own president, I think, saying, you know, maybe this is maybe getting rid of him is not a bad idea. And I suspect, here's my own speculation, that there's some fear that the Republicans have going forward, that Republican leaders have going forward, that Trump is going to remain so popular among Republican voters that all he can really do is cause trouble. And my own like pet theory on this is that, you know, if Trump runs in 2024, is he going to get the nomination? I don't know. But if he does get the nomination, is he going to win the presidency? Absolutely not. Right. And so, you know, is there's a sense that ongoing Trump remains a liability for the Republican Party, a distraction? You know, he keeps stopping around trying to, you know, it, there's I, I read a headline of an article. I haven't even had time to dig into it, that Trump might be forming a MAGA party. Right, that specifically going after Republicans who voted to impeach or convict him to primary them, right, and and try to purge, try to purge the party of the old guard and uh, keep it Trump's party, stuff like that. And so I'm wondering if if you know is Trump going to just like fade quietly into the night? Maybe this is like maybe his personality is a is a big factor in this. Like, how much does he want to stay in the fight versus like you know golf? And I'm I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think on that last point, I think this guy likes to fight. Um, I think starting a new party is probably a little bit too much work. Some people have speculated about starting a TV channel or taking over a TV channel. That's also a lot of work. Mm. I, I, th- I think he likes <laughs> running for president, which basically is him just flying around and giving speeches and having people cheer for him. And I think he liked being president, too. Uh, he didn't like the work part, but he, you know, he did he, He's right. done a lot of work. I mean, he seemed to be he seemed to be enjoying himself and had a lot of time for twittering and and watching TV. So yeah, I think he wants right. to be president again. Before this happened, uh, before get the, the storming of Capitol Hill, I thought he was the favorite to be the nominee again. And I think he'd still be the favorite if they didn't take his social media away. I mean, I think that's bigger than the actual mm. backlash to what happened. Look, the McConnells of the world wouldn't have wanted him to come back and be president anyway. Um, they were all they right. were always going to be against him, but now, but well, and they were against him at the beginning too, right? So it didn't, you know, the Republican leadership hating him in 2016 didn't exactly stop him from showing up. Exactly, and you know, there's, I mean, the polling is, you know, if you look at the polls, it's like, do you want Trump to run again or somebody like Trump or something like that? I mean, maybe there's nobody like Trump, and they end up, with, but if it's like 33 percent say they want Trump, and it's like 2016 again, where 15 people run for the nomination, you know, having 20, 30 percent. Right. 30% can win it. I don't know. You said he, he couldn't uh, win the uh, presidency if he won the nomination. I see no reason why not. I mean, he came mm-hmm. very, very close this time. If bad things happen during the Biden administration, if there's an economic uh, downturn or something that happens, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I see no reason why he couldn't, w- he couldn't win the rematch. I mean, this thing, this Capitol Hill thing is, uh, you know, th- th- there's a backlash to it, but people's memories tend to be short. I mean, Trump yes. has done so many outrageous things um, that, you know, the one more outrageous thing on top of it. And then, uh, a few letting, letting a few years pass, people's uh, memories will uh, will start to fade on that. Um, so I don't know how much staying power it's damaged. But the but the big problem for him is 
uh, like I said, social media be ta- being taken away. And then the fact that he's sort of in this place where he's like canceled, like yeah. corporation, like I don't think like any, you know, like stuff like if he wanted to host some kind of fundraiser somewhere or something. Like, uh, you know, even Josh Howley had one of his uh, one of his fundraisers canceled uh, recently. So that's going to be hard, just being canceled across sort of corporate America and big tech. I don't know how he does it. You know, you can go around the establishment when you have social media, when you have these channels. When you don't have that, it's much more difficult. Now, another thing we haven't talked about is another difficulty in his way is he's got some legal problems. He's got uh, tax issues, uh, some issues with his foundation, maybe some stuff on like obstruction of justice during the the presidency, he's got civil suits. He owes, he was doing a bunch of tax write-offs um, and he was doing some uh, some funny accounting, accounting before he became president. And he personally owes some ridiculous amounts of money, I think in the hundreds of millions. There was a, uh, a time story right. on this and he's got to find a way to pay that off. He's also got civil cases. So these women are suing him for, uh, I, I think, either sexual assault or uh, libel for, for denying sexual assault and saying that they were liars. So he's going to, buried uh he's going to be buried in lawsuits and potentially criminal prosecutions and between that and the social media it's it's going to be hard i i don't i don't envy his situation right now so yeah and so it sounds like if we're thinking about donald trump as a force of nature rather than a rather than a man uh, you know it's it's possibly not a bad model but it it sounds like what you're focusing on that i hadn't really thought about is that to some extent his ability to control the narrative has been greatly curtailed. And that's going to make life really hard for him because all these lawsuits are going to crop up and there's going to be all this press right about him, but he doesn't have the megaphone that he did to be able to just say it's fake news or make fun of the people who, you know, who are behind it. You know, he can't, uh, you know, specifically because he can't tweet about it and probably unless he ends up uh, becoming a TV celebrity, which he might again, I suppose, you know, he doesn't so much have a, have a platform to be able to, again, make his own narrative about what's going on around him. Now, that, the wacky part is, you know, to what extent, you know, for the people who still like Donald Trump at this point, you know, after everything that's happened over the past five years or so, does any of it even matter? And, and maybe that's, I guess, you know, what, let's just go down the route, that route is like, you know, if we speculate a little bit about his lasting appeal as a force of nature, as a political force of nature, you know, is it, you know, is, do we have any evidence that people are fundamentally attracted to, you know, really what he's, what he's saying? Like they want to hear the guy speak and that he actually like really, really touches them with his tweets and his speeches. Is it at this point, you know, like people's conception of who he is, like wh- however, you know, ev- everyone's, everyone's got their own version of Donald Trump that they've got hanging around in their minds at this point? And, and is that version so solid and unassailable, you know, regardless of which version it is? Is it the, the Nazi monster or is it like God's chosen, you know, God's, God's chosen tool on earth? But is that so unassailable that none of this matters? Is it, the, you know, maybe it's the case that, you know, his lack of tweeting means that he's just going to kind of fade, right? He'll go out with a whimper. Um, and and people will like move on at some point because they're not hearing from him. They're not being reminded of him anymore. Yeah, that, that's huge. I mean, you, can you imagine if he still had Twitter right now while well, all this Biden stuff, well, he would have been trolling the inauguration. Yep. He would have been trolling Biden's executive orders. And Twitter and the Internet, I mean, it, honestly, have a little bit of withdrawal. It feels a little, it feels like <laughs> a little empty. It feels like you're, you know, you're, you're, 
you're at a party and there was one guy who was like dominating the conversation, just like the center of attention. And that guy left and everyone is just sort of like looking at each other and, and they don't know what you to do. You sound almost sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Right. I mean, there's like everyone is in comp. I mean, so the other thing with the um, with his ability to control the narrative is so if you remember back in 2015, when he announced for uh, for presidency, yeah. uh, see, he would go and he, you know, he had this um, he had this uh, uh, initial announcement where he said, uh, you know, Mexico, they're sending us all their rapists. Um, they're not sending us our best. These people are rapists. And that was the, the first thing was covered live on CNN. And you can go back to YouTube and you can watch the reaction on CNN. And they're just like, they're about to crack up. They're, they just think it's hilarious. Right. And CNN start, uh, starts carrying every single one of his rallies. Like there's, you know, there's 10, 15 people running at this time for the Republican primary. And these guys can't even get on TV because it's just the Trump show all the time. I remember I was once in the, just in the gym, like in the locker room. And they're just, they're just playing his rally. Uh, they're just playing his rally there. And like people are sort of standing around and watching and like smiling and laughing and being entertained. I mean, the free press that they gave him just because they thought he was good for ratings, right. I mean, was, was off the chart. And Fox back then was trying to stop him. Like everyone thought like, oh, he get, you know, he's not going to be the nominee. If he gets the nominee he, nomination, he's going to lose. So like Fox was like worried about the good of the Republican right. Party. And, you know, they still had him on all the time. They, they still, you know, they, he was still good for ratings. But, they, you know, they, you could tell uh, the, uh, the anchors and the personalities were, were largely against right. him. And CNN and MSNBC were just giving him unlimited, unlimited time on TV. Um, that's not going to happen this time. He's a sort of a, a cancelable. He's a, sort of a uh, very canceled yes. person. At this point, and the media now believes they have this idea that they have like a moral obligation to stomp out what they consider hate speech and untruth. In 2015, 2016, the media, the so there was different, just different norms. Social media was free. Yes. You could say basically whatever you want. You couldn't get kicked off of Twitter. And, and so you had this free internet. You had cable news just like giving uh, all day over to Trump. And that's, that's how we dominated the conversation. Right. Now, every piece of that is gone as a reaction to Trump. Like CNN is not going to cover his rallies if he, when he announces next time. They're going to they're not going to let him say things unchecked. They're going to like, you know, fact check him every minute, but just probably just like try not to give him the attention. Uh, if he goes on, I think if they ever let him back on Twitter and Facebook and he starts saying things that are untrue or things that they consider, quote unquote, hateful, um, they're going to, you know, they're going to they're going to ban him again. People who are most excited about him, you know, all those people, some of those uh, meme warriors mm. who are who are uh, in Trump's 2015 are gone from the internet you know if new ones pop up they, uh, they'll be squelched by a by, by the whack-a-mole game the republican yeah. party is going to be happy, and the republican party is going to be happy that all this is uh being done because they don't have to vote to convict him or have that vote uh, in the senate after you convict him you can vote to bar him for office right. again like i think if it was an anonymous vote the republicans would do that but they want the media and they want big tech and um the, the legal system you know which we, we always have to put in the background they want them to do their work right. for them and they might. I mean, Trump getting back to the nomination is going to he's going to have a lot of hurdles and each one is very, very difficult. Now, I'll say at the same time, he's got a stranglehold on 25, 30 percent of the party, at least. And if you can count on that and it's a big field, it can work out for you. He can be discredited with the mass of the population. He can be discredited by most Republicans. The problem with 2016 was they couldn't. The, I mean, one reason that he won, he might have won anyway. But one reason that made it easier for him to win is that nobody, uh, people didn't drop out right. there, right? So they were splitting the vote the whole time. The 20 uh, uh, Democratic primary, as a way of comparison, it would look like it was going to be Sanders. Sanders yep. was hot in the first yep. few primaries, and four super chief 
Klobuchar drops out, endorses Biden. Buttigieg drops out, endorses Biden. They, the party came together at some point. So look, it's going to be Biden or Sanders. We don't want it to be Sanders. And they and they threw their weight behind Biden. If the Republican Party had done that in 2016, I don't know. Maybe maybe it wouldn't have worked. Uh, but they didn't because I mean the other guy, the other guy who was doing well was right. Ted Cruz, and uh, and the Republican establishment hated Ted Cruz too. So they were you know they were they were sort of uh, stuck. They really didn't have any good options. Uh, would they be able to come together and? get behind somebody in 2024. I don't know why they would. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of people who are going to be running and I, I don't see who well, it's a collective action problem. Right. I don't know who's going to just get out of the way. Who's going to be getting out of the way for everyone, uh, for every, for one person. So there's no obvious like single individual who's going to challenge Trump. You just have a bunch of senators who maybe have Pence vice president and those people can split the vote and Trump can come back. So there's a, I'll be fat. I mean, I'll be fascinated to, uh, to see how this shakes out because it can, it can easily go in either direction. I think I, this is this is a great thing to play on, uh, in particular because I I've always uh, look, I'm not I'm not I'm I'm not an innovator in in this field of thinking um, about tribalism and in group outward theory. Um, but one of the one of like the models about the world that I was kind of carry around with me is you know is this idea that uh, actually are, do you watch The Expanse, the sci-fi show? Okay. No, that's okay. Fine. No, I so for, well, for those who do watch, there's this moment. So if you all know Amos Burton, there's there's this moment that I won't try to spoil that like something really bad happens, uh, and when something really bad happens, society starts to break down. And Amos uh, Amos says, you know, civilization keeps us simple or keeps us civil, and you know we are tribal animals. And the thing that changes about us is not how tribal we are, but the size of our tribe, and and that size of that tribe shrinks and grows. Or shrink, yeah, grows and shrinks due to essentially two things: like one, how safe we feel, and two, do we have an external enemy? And you know, if we think about like American history, the times we were most united were the times we had this big external enemy, you know, like the Soviet Union, right, and the Nazis, and and all that, like all that good stuff in the 20th century that like was was super scary, but made us feel really united with not only our fellow Americans but with the free world, right? It was a thing, and. And so what's my point? My point is that, you know, I remember in the 2000s and well up through, you know, well into 2016, there was a sense that the Republicans were very good at being united. And, and because they, uh, they have this siege mentality. Now, I, I don't know how, like, I don't, I don't want to paint Republicans with too broad a brush, but I listen to a lot of conservative talk radio and, and um, especially growing up. And I, my personal take is that there, is, there, there was a siege mentality. That, you know, conservative values under attack, Christianity is under attack, being white is under attack, all that stuff. And so that siege mentality meant that they fell into line because there's this external enemy, the entire Republican Party is one big tribe, and we're going to stay behind each other. And conventionally, I think the wisdom is that the Democrats were bad at that. And, uh, and that, you know, for example, in 2016, the, the Sanders-Clinton nomination was bitter. A lot of Sanders voters said they would never vote for Hillary Clinton. She's an evil neoliberal or whatever. She represents the establishment. A lot of Sanders voters didn't turn out um, or they voted for Trump. And so you had this very united front where you know, a lot of Republicans held their noses and voted for Trump uh, back then and then came out much more enthusiastically in 2020. Um, and, and Democrats didn't do that. And I get the sense actually in 2020 that the Democrats like, were far more united than I've ever seen them. Um, I think because of this external enemy, because they hated Trump so much, you know, that even like Sanders, right? Like Sanders could, could, could have cried foul, but like, effing, come on, guys. Like, you were just stacking the deck against me as hard as you can. 
by all like all y'all getting together and saying, oh, it's going to be Biden. Right. We're not going to have a not going to have an open contest. It's not going to be a battle royale. We're all just backing Biden in order to stop Bernie. Right. Poor me. Which kind of happened in 2016 and super did not happen this time. And I wonder um, I wonder to what extent. You know, are the Democrats going to be able to like keep a sense of unity out of their sense? Uh, and maybe I'm even wrong about the sense of unity, and this is where you can kick my butt a little bit. But are the Democrats going to be able to like, keep a sense of unity over the next four years, especially if Trump becomes the nominee or someone else they really hate, like Ted Cruz becomes the nominee? Or, you know, or are they, or, you know, or are they going to start to fracture again into their like moderate neoliberal wing and their progressive wing? And then also like the Republicans, to what extent is their unity now threatened? Because you've got this side of the party that's like McConnell and Sanders and by God, even Lindsey Graham and Murkowski who are like, can we just please have our party back? Right? Like, can we please just like move on and not be the Donald Trump show? And then you've got the Donald Trump show. And, you know, how much are they going to spend the next few years fighting with each other? And, uh, you know, I don't know. My, my, my speculation is that the Democrats will do a decent job holding it together. And the Republicans are are like in for some, you know, in for years of infighting, uh, depending on how well they do or don't purge Donald Trump uh, from their from their collective psyche. But what do you think? Yeah. So, the, you know, there's there's a lot there. So, yeah, the the old idea was that Republicans were sort of this hierarchical party and the Democrats were a little bit more uh, disorganized and fractious. Um, I think what's I think there's been a revolution in um, media that is really the, the key to what has changed on the Republican side. Just Fox News and talk radio. I think their influence can cannot be exaggerated. Um, they've just really created a business. They've made news entertaining, and news being entertaining needs conflict. Yes. Uh, so the uh, if you go back to um, the 2011 uh, or the you know, 2009 fight over Obamacare, uh, the, I would suggest P- David Frum, who who I don't like a lot of things, but he got basically canceled from the conservative movement uh, because he was saying, "Look, you know, something's going to pass anyway." So maybe Republicans should just work with Obama and try to make it better. And that was just heretical. Now, they did pass it. And then Republicans ran on repealing Obamacare for the next uh, seven, six, seven years. And then they got power and they didn't even repeal Obamacare anyway. So you had this bill that they had no say over just because they were never serious about policy. Policy is not, a, you know, is not fun for a mass audience. Uh, what's fun is Obamacare is going to create death panels and it's going to kill you. And, you know, this is socialism and this is the end of America. And then Obamacare passes and people forget about it. Does anyone say, oh, we need to repeal Obamacare in order to have a freedom? No, people, people, have, uh, people have moved on. So this, this, uh, this uh, place where politics has become entertainment, I think has contributed to sort of a lack of governance and more, more, uh, fractu- more fractiousness within the Republican Party and more fighting. The, you know, it's, it's interesting, you talk about the Democrats, why hasn't this happened on the Democratic side? Uh, it just seems like cable news, for example, is not a big fact. I mean, Democrats don't need it. Democrats have um, the more sort of literate mediums, so journalism and academia. And those people, not to say that those people are are great and everything they think is correct, but it's it's more ideologically grounded in the sense that they want they they have political preferences that they want to enact. It's not just they're not just watching it as a reality show. Some people are definitely some people are. But there are people on the Democratic side who are working towards political goals, I think, in a way that's less common uh, among Republicans. Um, I th- and, and why don't Democrats split at the national level? I think it's because it's for that reason, because they're they're rationally 
pursuing certain goals and tearing themselves apart in a uh, divided country is only gonna is only gonna help their their opposition. Right. Look, they know Biden, but Biden is a, is a consensus pick. So Biden comes along and he's uh, he's moderate. He's moderate on economics compared to where Sanders and Warren was, but he's to the left of Obama, yeah. right? And he's like that on all the social issues too, way to the left of Obama on how he talks about you know so called racial justice, uh, how he talks about trans in the military, all these things. And there's no daylight really between him and Sanders or Biden, Sanders or Warren. There's a little bit in the sense they like Warren announces her pronouns on her Twitter bio, and Biden does not. So Biden. Um, appeals to sort of a, a more normal American voter in a way that Warren does not and does not come across as extreme. Uh, but if you look at his policies on anything that could be called a racial issue or a social issue, he's he's very far to the left. So if you're a if you're a far left wing person in academia or journalism, I think you're happy with the way the uh, Democratic Party is going. You're not you um, you might want conflict if you want a conflict for its own sake, then you'd go to war with Biden and say you have to. Uh, you have to just uh, talk like us and you have to uh, uh, st- stamp your foot. You have to stamp your feet and you have to uh, talk about Republican. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, yeah. You have to adopt all like the tribal markers, like the tribal, the tribal markers of, of uh, like, like I'm a good, you know, like that, the, what's it, like hold up the, the little red book and shake it around kind of thing. Yeah, it was such a controversy when um, Chris Christie hugged Obama after uh, Hurricane Sandy. And this just became a huge story among conservatives. It doesn't work like that on the left. There was, uh, Diane Feinstein did hug Lindsey Graham during the Amy Comey Barrett hearing. And there were some people on Twitter talking about it. It, it wasn't the top story. It wasn't on anyone's radar as the, like the main thing to be talking about because they rationally knew that that didn't have any policy implication, right? right? While Republicans don't seem to care what has policy implication, they're sort of just, you know, they, they want the person who's going to stand up against Obama. They want someone who's going to say these words like cancel culture and our history is great and I'm against the 1619 Project and I'm for law and order. And, and also war with the Democrats. That's important too. So Obama, Obama, Obama comes along and he's not doing it. His first major initiative is not a culture war issue. He's not trying to pass reparations right. or something. He's trying to do some mainstream liberal thing, give people health care, something that was, uh, as people talk about, it was a heritage foundation Indeed. plan. It was a plan that, uh, the kind of plan that could have been endorsed by Republicans uh, a generation or two ago. And what's their reaction to that? The reaction is, this is socialism. He's a Kenyan. He wasn't born in America. <laughs> this is, and if they had that reaction to like, uh, and something ideolo- and ideological you could understand, but it's not. It's they've gotten these people hopped up and they've gotten them entertained. 
And it doesn't sort of doesn't matter what the Democrats are going to do. Uh, the hyperbole and the and the talk and and you know the uh, the uh, you know the the idea that it's going to be socialism, radicalism, anti-Americanism. Right. The, the it's like a very easy template that you can you can sell to the audience. Uh, so it's it's fast. I mean, it's fascinating to think about the differences between the two parties. The tribal mind is sort of it's similar. You'll see similar things like you know they'll accept or reject evidence based on what they want to believe. But I, I also feel at the same time, these are very, very different movements and people don't talk enough about yeah. that. What's, what, what I've been doing, what I've been doing a little bit, uh, just to, just to kind of like keep my mind, keep my mind broad is I'm, I'm trying to look at how like different media outlets are reacting to Biden. And I'm looking right, at, right now at foxnews.com. And the first thing says Central America first. As Americans await stimulus checks, Biden offers $4 billion to migrant countries. Now, of course, the amount of money, uh, I, I believe that President Trump specifically sent something like $50 billion to migrant countries in order, and the purpose is to limit the number of illegal immigrants that are coming up to the border, right? Like, this is something that, that is like, it was like a central tenet of Trump's, um, uh, of Trump's policy, right? And it was actually like one of the, I think one of the smarter things he did is like, oh, if we, you know, if we can like invest in these areas, people, people, you know, and there's more economic opportunity, people want to stay. Great. and. Um, you know, but four billion dollars, which is like, you know, couch couch cushion. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little, I'm a little, little skeptical about that theory that that, that American aid is going to do all that much. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's besides the. It was certainly the idea. It was certainly the idea, right? And 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 yeah, I, I look. I'm similarly yeah. skeptical about foreign aid in general, but but it's a. What, what's my point? Ah, yeah, my point is that you know this kind of this kind of like. This is this is a small dose of what you just talked about regarding Obamacare, right? Here is something that Trump did, right? That was part of his policy. That that you know, I'm 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 going to say I don't have I don't have definitive evidence that Fox News didn't lambast, but I'm going to guess they didn't. That with Biden, it becomes Central America first, right? It's, and, and you have this sensationalist headline about it. Well, no, yeah, and then go to. And then go to MSNBC. I mean, just open the MS. Go over another tab. Go to MSNBC, and I, I've done that now. And uh, Biden's new goal—they're talking about Biden's vaccination goals. Uh, he's building pressure for COVID relief. Supreme Court tosses lawsuit. So right. this is biased, but it's news, right? right. <laughs> this is just right. talk. This is just talk radio. Yeah, the Central right. America First headline. There's, there's not, there's not a equivalence here. Oh, here's another one on the Fox News. McCain has a message for Corrick. Comma Katie Couric, comma liberals yeah. who want to re- deep deprogram Republicans. So like it's they always do these stories too. It's like Madonna or like Kathy Griffin said this or that. And right. yeah, this is like half. I mean, this is not the whole front page. Welding Foreman says he broke down as Biden ordered order forced him to lay off. Team. <laughs> I don't want to laugh at this poor welder, but I mean, <laughs> this is, this is, right. this, you can could, you could, you could tell what the agenda is here. And this is Fox. Fox is like the most responsible on the right now. You know, the Trump is hate them. Right. <laughs> this is like this is right. what their news is. Go to go to Epoch Times and see what they're talking about. That's like you know that, that it's run by some Chinese cultists. And you know this is the only yes. thing that's pure enough for Republicans now. It's going to it's going to a not very good place, unfortunately. And and maybe this is where this is this is where I actually want to I want to talk about what I think is the if if there's going to be one big change in America from from the Capitol riots, you know, you touched on it earlier. It's it's media is changing how it thinks about well, media and and everything around it, like the technology around media, is changing how it thinks about 
uh, like how it thinks about its responsibility. And I actually recently gave a talk for MIT about this idea I have about this cycle in media of fracturing and consolidation and fracturing and consolidation where new media technology allows anyone to say anything um, in this like kind of this new way that we're psychologically very vulnerable to because we can make stuff that looks very credible. Like even with the printing press, it's like, ooh, people can print stuff on paper and send it to you. Like psychologically, like we only ever saw stuff written down if it was from the king or like the pope. Right. And now anyone can print anything and like put it on a, a, a board. And, you know, famously, one of the first uses of the printing press was to run off a, a series of pamphlets about how uh, Jews are conducting Satanist rituals and drinking baby blood um, and actually led to a pogrom. Right. It was awful. And uh, if that sounds familiar, right, to to like, really, people would believe such an outrageous lie and then go commit violence for it. Right. Like there, there's a reason it sounds familiar. and. Um, you know, the consolidation phases happen as these technologies mature and people figure out what they want from them. And, and, you know, corporations start to understand, you know, even thinking cynically, corporations start to understand that there's some demand for reliability. You know, Facebook's usage is dropping. I, I wonder to what extent, like, you know, people are kind of just like sick of getting on Facebook and just seeing misery all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, you know, and, and, and so you have these, you know, so I'm, I'm hypothesizing that we're in this phase of consolidation. And I'm using the word consolidation rather than uh, censorship, even though there is censorship, because we're actually used to this. We're used to, like, in the past, having, you know, a couple TV, you know, like, we had ABC, NBC, CBS as our news options. And it was the Walter Cronkite era. And there was this, like, small Overton window about what we talked about. And there were, you know... There was a consolidation of newspapers after the yellow journalism area where there were like new journalistic standards about what you can and, you know, you will and won't print. And that seems to be happening. Like, it seems that maybe there's a beginning of that with this new form of media, social media. What's interesting about it, of course, is that there seems to, you know, there seems to be a movement to consolidate what can be, what can be projected or, or amplified uh, even though it's not, even though it's like someone else's speech, right? It's like what Donald Trump wants to say. It's what you and I want to say, not what an editorial board wants to say. But there seems to be this sense that, you know, we won't, like we as Twitter or Facebook or even, you know, AWS or Google, right, regarding Parler, we won't, you know, we're, we're adopting some sort of journalistic standards or the equivalent of it to at least catch the the violent edges of the Overton window because we either either we feel like we have some responsibility or the the consumer is demanding some responsibility from us and what i'm um what i'm trying to what i'm trying to think about and and um and understand better is like to what extent to what extent is this just like a natural cycle and like maybe even a good thing to what extent are we seeing that a few corporations are indeed very powerful and that's kind of scary, you know, that, that, you know, Twitter can change its terms of service whenever it wants, right? They do change it all the time. I know that I don't read what changed, but I got the, I get the update that it did change. And so to what extent are these, you know, to what extent are these corporations out, you know, outsized in power um, for their ability to either, either amplify, right? Because they can use algorithms to amplify and show something to everyone versus versus suppress uh, information. And uh, with that big pile, I just want to turn it over to you. 
yeah, there's um, yeah, there's a, a lot there. So are, I mean, are we in a period of uh, consolidation of power? I think there was a trend towards sort of a deconsolidation when the internet was really free. Social media things could take off. These internet personalities were at some point rivaling the major news networks and their yeah. uh, YouTube viewership and how they were doing on Google algorithms. I mean, when you put like you just make a neutral algorithm that's going to uh, give you search results or give you videos on YouTube. There's no guarantee that it's going to end up with CNN and ABC and NBC and the New York Times at the top of it. There, there's nothing on earth. And then you you come you come back later and you say, well, these are the objective uh, sources of news or at least the credible sources of news. And I don't think that that's completely wrong. I think that they have do have some journalistic standards. So we shouldn't just ignore uh, act like that that doesn't exist. Uh, but then you you sort of play with it a little bit, and you have the algorithm where you bring us back to the world where it originally was. Still, though, they've they've lost some control. So Facebook, uh, there's a guy named Kevin Roos who follows tech for the New York Times, and on his Twitter, he occasionally just uh, lists the top ten most uh, uh, popular uh, posts on Facebook for the day. I don't, I don't know mm. if they're top ten most political or just top ten overall, uh, but they're always and who always does well there is Ben Shapiro, uh, Don Bongino. I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's some kind of a right-wing uh, personality, former cop, um, or Secret Service. I think he's former Secret Service. Uh, Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham's son. And it's always like that. It's always yeah. like these uh, sort of conservative, uh, mainstream-ish uh, figures. Well, they banned all the, all the far-right people from Facebook, right? <laughs> so, so still, you know, they, they have Ben Shapiro on, and Ben Shapiro ends up dominating Facebook because there's a... Uh, uh, there, you know, there's a desire for something that's not the mainstream, that's not as uh, left wing. And then you have, so you have that. I mean, you have Facebook, which is a sort of an amplification device for a lot of uh, right wing things, even though that's not what the uh, company intended. That's sort of the way it ended up. Their Facebook is sort of an old person's uh, place, and Twitter is more a young per, uh, young person's platform. Um, right. And and so you have that, but at the same time, like I don't think Ben Shapiro and Don Bangino are running the country. I think what I think what they're doing is uh I think these voices are doing better within the Republican Party. Just you know, it's sort of Apple this that we talked about talk radio and uh, Fox News becoming the dominant voice in conservatism. Uh it's become simpler than that where it's not even uh like Rush Limbaugh clips. It's like a a meme, right? Or like a 5-minute, you know, discourse by Diamond and Silk or it's um you know, it's it's something like that. I, I saw you talked about the printing press and this new technology made things seem credible. I, I saw something. That, there was something being passed around. It was a um, it was a Photoshop. Right, anybody can use Photoshop now, and it claimed to be a uh, looked like a CNN screenshot, and it said uh, yep. Antifa claims responsibility for Capitol Hill, yeah. and it's spelled Capitol. Uh, you know how it's spelled Capitol C A P I T A L. Oh, oh, yeah. So they spelled yeah, it wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but people yeah. dumb enough to fall for this, you know, don't know how to spell, don't know how to spell capital. So, so this right. was getting, you know, this was getting passed around. Anyone could do Photoshop now. That used to be a, uh, that used to be wizardry, right? Anyone, any, 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 any exactly. could do that and make a screenshot of CNN saying saying anything in the world. Uh, so. Yeah, and I think I think I I'm sometimes flabbergasted at how much people fall for a photo with a caption. Right. Like, here's a photo. And I just wrote some text around underneath about what's going on. Right. And like, you know, grandma is going to share it and be like, see, Obama is a Satanist. And I go like, come on, grandma, like someone put some words on a picture and 
by the way, the picture's Photoshop. I mean, like literally all this is fake. And and what I remembered at some point as I was thinking about this, this kind of like how media technology changes and, and how it imp- impacts us. Well, grandma grew up in an age where literally there were two places you saw a photo with a caption. One of them was like a very well-established newspaper and one of them was a school textbook. Like that was it, right? And so like photo with caption, the, right. our brain, you know, her brain yeah. was programmed in her young life to say, ah, a photo with a caption, like this is credible, right? Because it's a trusted source. You know, it's always some sort of like fairly trusted source who is using the photo and caption in order to try to like try to add color to a broader story. Right. And, and the, the broader stories around it, right. Like you read, you read a newspaper, like I'm going to try to pick something that not, you know, that, that's not as controversial. I don't know the the Boston Herald, right. I actually really like the Herald and, you know, in the Boston Herald, it's a little more right wing Wall Street Journal, right? Actually, I read it voraciously. So Wall Street Journal, like they have the picture and caption. They also have everything else around it saying, you know, here's the evidence. Here are the people we talk to, right? Like here are the citations. Here are quotes by, by real individuals. Here are some stats, right? All that stuff. But the picture and caption adds flavor or adds color, like helps you understand it better. And sometimes I go through the, the you know, the Wall Street Journal and I just like look at the picture and caption. Right. And it will be like, you know, it'll be a picture of, uh, let's just say, like Biden signing a thing. And it says Biden is signing an executive order to do X, Y, Z. And I believe it. Right. I believe the Wall Street Journal when they say this picture of Biden signing this thing. Right. It's this specific executive order. I don't doubt it for a second. And grandma goes, right, like someone forwarded something that's like, here's a picture of Obama. I don't know, signing an executive order to like drink baby blood. Right. And she's like, see, right. Horrible guy. And, and I think it's just because of the, yeah, I think it's because of like this, like psychological conditioning that, that we have, which like sounds bad, but I think it's just natural that like you can't go through. I think that's what's so hard about this, 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 this age that we're in of, of how rapidly media technology accelerates um, and changes is that it's that it's actually just super impossible for humans to go through life needing a ton of evidence and citation checking and fact checking to to function, right? You have to trust things, or you're paralyzed. Yeah, and I guess I guess the difference between people like me and you is well, yeah. When I read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and they say there's an executive order uh, that's going to happen, I I believe it, right? If the New York Times says all the evidence says uh, all racial disparities are caused by systemic racism. Uh, I have, Mm. I have some skepticism of that. So that's a different kind of fact that they want to, they want to put in the same universe, but look, we're, we're sophisticated guys who can differentiate. Now, somebody with maybe who grew up in a less sophisticated age, someone who's uh, not a smart, someone who doesn't have time to know what's a reputable news source and what's not, or has never had time or, well, and also, what are the biases of the news source? To your point about the New York Times, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you have some people who will read the New York Times and and swallow every word, and not just the you know the fact facts, but also the the opinion and the spin and the ideology they consider facts. And you have other people just who to whose uh, some screenshot, some uh, some uh, Photoshop screenshot on Facebook is just as good as a New York Times reporter. Right, and so you have right. both these prob- They have both these problems. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. People say, "Oh, you know, oh, we have to teach critical thinking skills. We have to teach media literacy." Like, I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe I don't know if that can. I don't know if that can work. I mean, you tell people. Right. You said people in public school, and you say the New York Times is good. You listen to them, and your your friends on Facebook are not. Like, 
you can't force people to want to buy that. People didn't want to buy that in the first place. That's why that's right. why you need to teach them quote unquote, you know, media literacy. Um, so yeah, the problem is the problem is humans, I guess. Well, it's and and I, you know, the, the here's here's maybe where like my my theory actually gets interesting is that you know, humans are a constant force in this, right? And I actually studied I studied mechanical engineering before I before I bailed out and, and studied political science and and I'm thinking about like if you have in like a dynamic system, if you have like a constant force and you have uh, so like a flat line on the graph and you have this like sinusoidal force uh, going in, you can have this like awesome amplification thing that can lead to resonant frequency and like literally tear something apart. All right. So this is like cool video. I love showing people when they're like, what's resonant frequency? I'm like, here's a, it's a Chinook helicopter. So two rotors, right? And those rotors are spinning just like a little bit out of phase. And the thing literally tears itself to pieces because of resonant frequency. And, and, so anyway, that's a like convoluted, convoluted way of saying like you have human nature, which is constant. And, and I agree, I think like trying to, and I think because of that constancy and like the, the, the deep, like the deep subconscious ways that our brains interface with the world and decide what to trust and decide what, what to accept. Right. And it's, and I want to, I'll, I'll, I'll dive a little bit more into that to, to get your thoughts in a sec. Um, but then around it, what's changing is the media technology and, and what we're exposed to. That's changing all the time. And so, you know, and if we look back to yeah. this, like, maybe it wasn't like, maybe, you know, that there was this, there's this idea of like the, the American consensus age, and maybe it wasn't actually true, but it's like, certainly kind of seems so, you know, Congress voted together more often and, and people cross party lines. And, the, you know, there's, there is all this stuff that suggests like a less, in America where people had a shared narrative about what was real, right? And they had different opinions, but they had the shared narrative. So let's just... Yeah, I mean, if COVID, if COVID broke out in like the 1970s or 1980s, I don't think you would have had half the country said this thing is not real. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, and and so I mean I guess you know we can think about why it gets better or worse. And you're right, the media technology is huge. And I think what happened before before the internet was you know people weren't that much smarter. They they would have fell for the same they would have fell for the same things uh, 20, exactly. years ago. But they weren't exposed to it. They were they were bored. I mean, all you, all exactly. you had was the nightly news and CNN, and like if you were exactly. the Wall Street Journal. And that was boring. Even like Rush Limbaugh would be boring to somebody who doesn't care about ideas at all, right? It's not like QAnon. QAnon is a is a soap opera. That that's fascinating to anyone, right? <laughs> that that yeah. stuff get that stuff if you if you're if you're simple enough to buy it, uh, that uh, that that can't be boring. And so we've perfected this uh, sort of politics as uh, entertainment. Now, how do we get back to a place where? we're you know we're we're somewhere connected to reality i mean one way i think the media they don't say this explicitly but maybe they do the the idea is you just have like big tech have a heavy hand so big tech comes in and they say right. this is high quality uh information you know you ever look at twitter when you have like the show more replies and you ever uh, click yeah. uh, click on that and they usually do a good job like the show more replies guys are like awful they're always like f you or like shut one of them today told me shut your bitch ass up because i i i compared brady um <laughs> tom brady to Ka uh, colin kaepernick and i you know i said uh, people were saying there there was a uh a, you know tom brady can have politics and people say but colin kaepernick doesn't and i'm like well the difference is brady like had a hat once and he didn't just like talk about politics all the time. and also brady's the greatest quarterback ever well kaepernick obviously is not and I'm like, I was like, shut your bitch ass up right <laughs> That's on their show more replies. I don't know why I clicked there. Sometimes the people who are in show more replies are people I know. I don't know how they got down there. 
There's just some algorithm. They follow the wrong person. Right. They use the wrong word at some point. Um, and, and they're right. going too far, right? And they're putting they're putting people who have something to contribute to the discussion. They're best secluded. So, the, you know, that, that's one option. You sort of make the internet more like what things were like before the internet, which was just TV and newspapers and a few gatekeepers. Gatekeepers, that's the trick, yes. Exactly, yeah. So a few gatekeepers um, deciding on things. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't like, the, I don't particularly like this vision. I don't trust them to, you know, not go overboard with the censorship. Uh, but at the same right. time, I've like realized that it's gotten really dumb. And like, if it's not bad, I don't know. I don't know what else it would be, right? Uh, gatekeeping is, sounds bad, but just letting, you know, people run wild and people without the ability to uh, see truth from fiction or differentiate opinion from fact or what they want to believe and what's true. I mean, we, we've, been, we've been sort of uh, uh, overcome with that. And if, you know, people have ideas how we get away from that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to listen, but I, I haven't been able to come up with anything. Yeah, that's the that that's what I think is is really the crux of it is that like during the age of consensus, we had like three TV news networks and a couple newspapers and they all had heavy, hardcore gatekeeping. And a big part of it was that because there were fewer of them, the economic strategy was to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. Whereas when you have a saturated market, you go after niches. Right. So so. So like the Wall Street Journal wins by having a lot of people kind of like yeah, it and, uh, you know, OANN or, or like or like Charlie Kirk wins by having like a few people really like him. And uh, those people like how do you get people to really like you or like you make them angry. Right. And and, and you make them really emotional and become attached. And so and so the so and, and that's and that's I think the that's I think like the crux to the cycle is is this like twofold sense of, well, it's, it's really one thing. It's like when you have fewer options, those options will implement more gatekeeping and more, uh, like more journalistic standards in order to appeal to as broad an audience as possible, because that's actually what the market demands. Because you can't afford to just like alienate 98% of people and just get 2%. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's just, the, I, I think you, you're right to focus on the market forces is important. But I don't think that's I don't think that's the entire story. So when Fo there was always a market, like if CNN wa like wanted to be like Fox News, CNN you know was there a few years before uh, a few years I think a decade or something before Fox News, they could have done yes. that and they might have actually been good business because CNN was this new thing that's twenty four hour news channel. But they could be that plus be conservative, right? That's the thing. There was the market Fox right. filled a filled a niche, right? There was more. The, the, a lot of newspapers, a lot of places could have actually done better by going right. And they didn't because, you know, they were journalists and and they, they had an ideology and that mattered too. Yep. And part of it is like, you know, some of the right wing things they didn't buy in because they care about facts and standards. Sometimes, sometimes they didn't buy into the right wing narrative because they had their own left wing narrative and maybe the right wing narrative was actually uh, correct on some things. Right. But there was also right. either this, you know, ideology or this um, sense of uh, standards and propriety. Where and you could do this. You could do this. You can have a. You can do this when there, there's only a small number of players, right? When there's like four of them, right? Or five. Right. Them. They cannot. They can not all not. They can have like a cartel, right? Where the cartel doesn't do exactly. the economically doesn't give the customer what it wants. And here, maybe it's good not to give the customer what it wants, right? And so it's a car, it's a cartel. It's an ideological cartel. And but they were but they were um, they were responding to market incentives but at the same time they were uh, not responding to market incentives they put something about uh, maximizing profit now you have unlimited number of content creators you know all over and you're right something right. like that is just not going to hold the technology is not going to 
is not going to allow it. So yeah, you get you get your silos and your and your eight uh, chans and your four chans and your bright barts and your um, you know everything in between, right? Right. And so Eric Eric Fogg's personal prediction for the future is that is that with is 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 that you have more players starting to see themselves as this gatekeeper or or maybe a better word for it is a clearinghouse right like like print publishers are clearinghouses newspapers are clearinghouses right like oh this is actually like super legit let's publish it and uh, well super legit and matches our idea of what's good of course um and that's always the dangerous part but like it's it's been a part of society in the past and we you know kind of to your point about obamacare like we can kind of get used to anything um it's the change that really freaks us out and then and then like 10 years later we've forgotten about it yeah maybe 10 months but i i think we're starting to see you know google and apple their app stores starting to starting to see a role of being a clearinghouse for not necessarily for like like good and bad think although the hard part is they have the power to do that right like as soon as you have the power to clear be a clearinghouse for one thing you can do it for something else and that's always the hard part but it's always been true i think like i think people have this idea that like ooh, suddenly there are these corporations that have the power to be clearinghouses for what we get exposed to and what we don't it's like yeah they always have right there was this like very brief interlude from about like you know the late 90s to now that you know that it was a bit wild west and like the outcome isn't good and so, you know, are we like, should we be, you know, should we, should we be like kind of like comfortable with reverting back to this idea that like, yeah, there are going to be some corporations that serve as clearinghouses for, you know, one, like making sure that, making sure that patently false information gets fact checked Two, that like apps that, you know, like social networks or something or, or publications that like encourage violence are, are squished, right. And they're just going to play whack-a-mole forever. Um, cause it will be whack-a-mole, right? It's never going to be done. It's just, it's just, uh, it's, you know, it's like the war on terror, right? It's endless. And, but my personal prediction is that like, we've seen the beginning of these tech companies realizing that their role is as, as the, what's it? The fourth column or no, not the fourth column, the fourth state, fourth estate, fourth estate. They're part of the fourth estate, right? And the media, like we knew in the past that the media was like, it's more than a corporation. It is like, it is a series. It, it is like part of society and like it needs to do things right to function. And, and it has that power. Yes, it has to use it responsibly. Yes, that, and if it doesn't use it responsibly, we're effed. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, kind of like gestures around, uh, you know, to everything on fire, right? Like that's, that's what happened. You know, like what we see now is kind of what happened when the fourth estate lost their power over the narrative. And there are people who really like that, obviously. And there are, there are a lot of us who are looking around being like, man, the world's a little crazy right now. But I think we're starting to trend back towards that as these new players start to realize they're part of the fourth estate and that those same practices that the fourth estate had in the past are really important. That's my thought. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's one vision. I, the thing is, it's hard to... <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of thinking about it, Eric, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, you're, the thing is, we still have politics, and we still have two political parties, um, and we still have one that just because it's one of the two political parties, it sort of has a, has a voice in this thing. And, you know, you can't, you know, there's norms or whatever. Well, not like you cancel one half of uh, our political system. And so the you know mm. it really depends on where the Republicans go. I mean, and 
and I saw somebody tweeting today, you know, the crazy people have taken over the parties at the state level, like is Mitch McConnell and Ronna McDaniel going to do something? I don't think they can do anything. Right. The Arizona GOP right. and the Texas GOP and some of these other places have gone crazy. And Mitch McConnell can't go remake the, uh, uh, the, the, the local Republican Party. It's just uh, with Trump and with social media, a certain kind of person has been drawn into politics and they've all gone to uh, one place. So, I, I mean, if I was going to you know, say where we're going, I think it's a lot more of the same. I mean, I think you're going to have the uh, you're going to have the, yeah, these people try to be uh, gatekeepers and, they, and they've done it a little bit. I don't know if it's going to go anymore. Like uh, to, there was a big wave of sort of censorship in 2016 and uh, 2017 after Trump won, mm. uh, like these alt-right and alt-light figures got on social media. And those people had like a different ideology than the uh, than the ruling class. It wasn't like QAnon where there's no ideology besides you're all pedophiles and Trump is awesome. It, it was They were kicking people off for actual ideas. And now they've gone and they're going to do QAnon and they're going to they're going to kick them off for, you know, for being crazy. It should have been kicked off before the other stuff because it's, it's, it's just it's not really contributing to to human knowledge or uh, um, or the public conversation in any way. Um, so are they going to go and they're going to ban more ideas? I, I don't know. I think you. Um, um, so you're going to you're going to have this place where everything stays the same. Basically, uh, you have this you have the Democrats and they're trying to do incremental things on a. Uh, uh, social policy and economic policy, and you have Republicans sort of uh, uh, just talking about cancel culture and without many ideas you know, about what to do about it. And you know, science and technology and markets will go on. The the Moderna vaccine it just came out. The, there was a you know we we were so slow um, with um, dealing with COVID, and even though vaccines were produced fast, we could have gotten a lot faster with just uh, uh, not going right. through the some of the uh, regulations at the FDA and. People were thinking, well, it's gone on so long. There's going to be virants. They're going to be immune. And Moderna just announced today that the South Af- that the uh, vaccine works on the South Africa oh, uh, uh, strain and on the uh, yeah. British strain. So, you know, science out again, um, despite us <laughs> being very, very incompetent. So there's going to be good technological and scientific developments. You know, some things like you can't regulate because you're so broken, like you can't do anything. So you can't deal with COVID. You can't build high speed rail. But you can't like regulate right. any great technology to death if it's like something brand new. Um, so there's still dynamism in society, and so like the fact that our politics is broken gives gives room for for things to happen. But man, I, I'm a you know I, I was on some other uh, podcasts and I talk about like how America is not going to have a civil yeah. war. That became you know I wrote the Washington Post piece on that, and people have invited me over uh, on on their shows that I've talked about. That. <laughs> it sounds like I'm like an optimistic guy about America, right? Or and I'm like here I am. I'm telling you, like our politics are broken, our people are are not doing well, and we can't solve any problems. And I, I don't see much prospect for changing changing that. So I don't know if I'm really all that optimistic. I just don't think we'll be killing each other. But <laughs> I I don't think there's going to be anything romantic or great that we're going to be doing either. At least through government. But like I said, the the private sector is a different thing. Right. Well, uh, actually, we've we've hit our hour, which I've been uh, I've been advised by some listener surveys not to go too far over. And I really think this is actually like a good we've got this like good ending point. Right. Like we've, we've gotten through kind of like short term warbles that, you know, in the system, um, you know, it got this like big impulse. Right. Um, again, I'm, I'm now thinking about my mechanical engineering days. Big impulse into the system. How springy is it? How dampening is it? And and how much is it going to like regress to the mean? versus like kind of spin off in a new direction. And um, what, I, what I love in particular is that we, we are going to leave our listeners without a strong consensus, which is, uh, you know, look, if we're, 
if reconsider is ever like uh ever like telling y'all what uh you know if we're ever telling y'all what to think and we're too confident about it something's gone wrong and uh it's one of the nice things about speculating on a podcast is like well look we're not in charge anyway uh, like we don't get to decide what happens oh, i guess my my parting thought for everyone is you know is is as as you're like navigating some of the you know as you're navigating some of the reactions um to the capital riots and just all the muck that led up to it and all the fallout from it you know history is a like hi- history is a good friend here for trying to like get get a sense of it rich and i talked about how you know how media technology has changed and and how that's impacted society in very dramatic ways and that and that you know at least from my perspective like um and i think richard you agree a little bit like some of what's being talked about now in terms of consolidation and censorship isn't brand new it's it's you know it's an echo of the past but you know and and i think like the other guide for trying to make sense of this is is just thinking about human nature and how it collides with the media technology that we've seen that at least like for your own personal sanity you know, being able to model what's going on around you uh, makes it a little bit less personal, at least. And I think that's the like that's the best guidance, or that's the, that's the best I have for everyone at this point in terms of a a takeaway. Richard, anything you want to say on the way out? Uh, no, this was. I mean, this was fun. Um, I think that in the, in the I think that in the Trump years, you know, there, there's a hope that politics is not going to be dominating our lives as much. At least the superficial, right. stupid parts of politics. Um, all the news in the last week, so Biden was uh, inaugurated just today's January 25th, so five days ago. And all the news has been about things that he's done, mostly. It's yeah. like he signed executive orders, some you may agree with, some you may disagree with, or he's got a policy on minimum wage or that. But that's like all we've been talking about, right? And and, oh, and this is this is a, a bit refreshing, but like a bit boring because, you know, we're not we're not. We're not saints here. Some we, part of a part of me, at least, really enjoyed the Trump, you know, horror show. Yeah. So I mean, I I I I don't feel good about that. But for the country as a whole, it's better if we're going to be talking about these issues than if we're going to be, uh, you know, talking about uh, who Trump called fat on Twitter. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, whatever his latest scandal is. So. Well, unlike you, I like boring things. I do enough to keep myself entertained already. Um, I will leave everyone uh, with my favorite. Chinese curse, which I learned in China when I worked there, and uh, as a uh, as a as a reminder, or as just a little, as a tiny little bit of perspective over the last four years, and the and the curse goes as such: May you live in interesting times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.